This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Do Chews. Light, comfy, good to go to. This podcast is proudly in association with Pitch Sport Football, the app that allows you to interact with other West Ham fans, pick your starting eleven, and participate in fan time videos. This app is absolutely free, so like I've done, like Hex has done, and like thousands of other West Ham fans have done, get this downloaded if you haven't already. That's Pitch Sport Football. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Good evening and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, and serial YTK blogger, XWHU employee. Brian Dean was the first ever player to score a goal in the Premier League and during a colourful career, there was a time when those colours were briefly claret and blue. We'll be talking to Brian about his time in East London before getting exclusive news and views from X and answering questions from our collective followers on social media. That's all coming up on tonight's show. And we can't start this conversation without asking you what it's like to be the first ever player to score a Premier League goal. <laughs> oh, frequently asked questions. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, hey, listen, I mean, the way I look at it is that at that particular time, there were a lot of good players playing, uh, a lot of good centre forwards. Um, and, you know, to be top of the pile in that respect is brilliant because... You know, you look at Alan Shearer, Ian Wright, Teddy Sheringham, Les Ferdinand, um, Ginola, all, all of the, you know, some really good forwards. And, um, you know, little old me was the first one to score. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's good. I mean, in, in, in truth, um, did I really pay much attention? Not really. It was only really when I packed in playing that a lot of people started... So I like bring it to my attention that I was the first player to, to score in the Premier League. And I remember once I saw the guy in um, 
as a German player who scored the first ever Bundesliga goal years ago, he, he unfortunately passed away. And, and it was the fact, you know, he made headlines for the, for the same thing. So I suppose in that respect, you know, it's, it's history. You know, mm, mm. oh yeah, it's a massive things I have on your um, CV. That's for sure. Um, I mean, we, obviously you joined West Ham quite late in your career, so we're sort of talking about a few things before you joined yeah. us. And you, ma- and you made um, three appearances for England under Graham yeah. Taylor, I believe. Um, do you feel you should have made more appearances for the national side? Or are you are you happy with the three that you got? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I'm happy because. Um, I think what you don't realise is I was in a lot of the squads and I was on standby a lot. So, you know, maybe I was on about in about 20, you know, between either being on standby or being in the squads and playing it maybe about 20 times. But it, it's just one of those things, you know, there were some very good forwards at the time. Um, I think it was a measure of, you know, who were the best players at the time. And that's why it meant a lot to me, apart from obviously representing my country. You know, if if you're up there and you're getting in front of the team in front of like Alan Shearer, Ian Wright or whoever, then obviously you're doing something well. But in order to do that, you have to be consistent in your uh, at your club team. Um, And I feel that, you know, I think Graham Taylor, to be fair to him, was one of those guys who picked players on his on on their merit. You know, there wasn't really any favouritism. I don't think that I'd, I'd hate to think that managers do pick players on um, favouritism but obviously yeah I'd, I'd love to have established myself more in, in the squad but it wasn't to be and you know sometimes you've got to just be happy with what you get Definitely. Yeah absolutely, it's something to be proud of mate that's for sure. Uh, you're known as a bit of a legend at Sheffield United and Leeds I mean this is a controversial question and probably unfair but is there one club out of the two that means more to you than the other? Uh, it's. <clears throat> I think the way I look at it is like this. I'm from Leeds. I'm a Leeds boy. I live in Leeds, and um, you know my family live here. Everything. Well, when I went to Sheffield United, that was just a different level of love, you know, from the fans. You know, I hit it off with them from day one. I scored over a hundred goals down there, and you know they. You know, it, it's just. You know, I go down there still now, and there's still people at the club who who I've known and I've known for like years decades really and um it, it you know i can i can walk anywhere in the club i can go into the boardroom i can you know I'm, you know the director you know the you know so it, it's like my home um i think at leeds it's slightly different because even though i'm from here and everything you know <laughs> i remember one time i um blackburn were playing um Leeds in the uh, and and Craig Short was a very good friend had left me a, a ticket in the director's box and they couldn't find it and um, they were kind of like looking at me as if to say oh yeah here we go. and I thought geez listen I'm not going to leave my warm house to come down here and watch a game if I ain't got a ticket you know so <laughs> there is sort of like you know it's like it, you know that there's obviously protocols and all the rest of it but you know. It's definitely a case of, I mean, I don't really, I've met the owners at Leeds, you know, and said hello to them, but, you know, there's no no personal kind of relationships with, there's probably about two or three people down there I've got personal relationships with, and I, I just feel every time I go down to Sheffield United, it's like, it's like being at home and the fans are great, so, um, but having said that, like I said, at Leeds, look, 
it's my hometown and, and the people here are brilliant with me and, and we respect each other. Uh, I had two great spells at Leeds as well. So it, it's close, but, you, you know, I think everybody would accept that. I'm kind of probably um, better known um, in and around the club and everything at Sheffield United. Mm. Fair play, good answer. Um, so you had a good scoring record against West Ham, um, especially when you played for Middlesbrough. Um, what was it you enjoyed about scoring against us so much? And was it a case of, you know, when you saw West Ham coming around, you knew you had a good record against them and that automatically gave you that bit of a you know, step up, that confidence boost? No, not really. I think sometimes, I, you know, as a forward, you, you tended, I tended to score more against certain teams. Or, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a stato or anything, but I kind of looked at one stage at, at the teams that I'd scored against in the Premier, and I think I scored against most of them. So, but there were some teams like, um, you know, I scored a lot of goals against Middlesbrough, um, um, Leicester. Probably the teams that I was probably showcasing. Um, I was going to say, you got signed by all of them. There's a stop you scoring but, against them. Yeah, I scored, um, you know, I scored a few goals against um, Manchester United, Liverpool. Um, so, you know, look, I mean, it, it's just one of them things where you go out on the pitch and you feel good. Um, and, and that happened to, the, to be the case um, against certain teams. And, and perhaps West Ham was one of them. Mm, mm. Unfortunately for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he was like the Romelo Lukaku of yesteryear. Yeah. Um, so, skipping to 2003, you joined West Ham. Yeah. How did that move come about, Dana? So, so I was at... Um, God, where was I? Was that... Leicester? Yeah, that's right. Jesus, <laughs> I've had that many So, I was at... Um, I was at Leicester and... Uh, the season had started and uh, I, I wasn't getting as much football as I wanted. And, and the, um, the, the, the manager had kind of said, you know, look, you know, I've, I've got other ideas now. And, and obviously I'm very disappointed. So, you know, I, he said, listen, um, Alan Pardew wants to speak to you. And at first I was a bit like, I never had it in my mind to go and play in London. Uh, for some reason, um, you know, and, I, and, and obviously the other thing was I was at a Premier League club. Um, had a great changing room, some brilliant uh, characters in the changing room, and, and that was one of the things about the the changing room at Leicester. We um, we were right. It was like it was just funny going in every day, um, and and like leaving was um, was tough. But it, it's funny because we used to um, we used to call each other. I, I, I mean, you guys, you, you guys down in London, you're quite a cynical, funny bunch of people and we used to go into the team and we had you met you know Andy Impy because Imp's played for you guys yeah and we had like mm. likes of Cinco and um, Ian Walker and other people James Scowcroft Jordan Stewart and stuff and like I, so, so like if, let's just say for example I said uh, Dave can you uh, go get us a, 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 a I'll have a cup of tea Dave and you went and got me the, the tea and when I got it you'd go I'd go cheers Wilf so, like, Wilf was like a name that you associate with somebody who's a bit of a mug. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's an appropriate name for Dave, to be fair. <laughs> so, so, uh, well, Lex, you're not so, tall enough to rate the cupboard for the, for the couch. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so one, of the, one of the things was that, we, like I said, we used to have a, we used to have a laugh every day. And um, when I left, the guys, they took a, 
they got a they got a license plate and they made it up and it said um, with just Wilf on it, and they took <laughs> a picture of it above where I used to sit, and um, it it read Wilf R I P, and they sent that picture to me. So, you know. <laughs> so, so so that was a, so so I was you know when I left I was like oh god you know and, and obviously like I say you know we're playing we're in the we were in the uh, top division, so I was like, well, you know, I, I think my last away game was away at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and so on. So, you know, coming down into the um, championship, I was a bit like, you know, well, at, at least I'm going to be playing. And um, so I met Alan Pardew anyway. And to be quite honest, when I, when I met him, I had a really good conversation with him. He, he you know, he, he kind of said, look, you know, you're just the kind of player we're, we're, we're looking for. You know, we've got Jermaine Defoe up front. We've got a good team, Michael Carrick and so on. And, you know, we, we just need somebody with that experience. And I, and I, I really totally bought into it. And I was like, OK, um, let, let, you know, let's do this. And, um, you know, I came down. Um, I think my first game was away at Coventry. And, and I remember there was, you know, there were people, uh, from what I gathered, there was... There were some fans who weren't happy. They said, "Oh, he's not you. You know, he's not a West Ham type player, and all of this kind of thing." You know what I mean? And you know, as a as a as a player, you kind of take all that on board. And it wasn't really a, a case of you know, well, I'm going to prove. You know, I'm thirty odd. I'm in my early thirties, and I'm thinking I ain't got nothing to prove to anybody. You know, and I ain't got time for none of this nonsense. You know, I know what I've done over my career and everything, and I know what I can. I know how I've got to. To, to offer so I just went out with that attitude really and um, in fairness you know with the, with the players at the te- in the team at the time and in the squad you know Don Hutchinson was there I'd played with previously I'd had a few rooks with Thomas Repka um, Piercy um, Christian Daly um, you know and, and um, you know and all of it me Ludek was there who I'd played against several times so it was it was really easy to settle um, but like I said, as a forward, you, you never really feel settled until you get your first goal. And obviously, that was what I was setting out to do, really. That was my my goal, really, to, to try and get on the score sheet as quickly as possible. Mm. You made yeah. your debut, as you said, away at Coventry. Um, when yeah. you actually got onto the pitch, did you still feel like the West Ham fans had that... Um, like feelings that they didn't want you to be there or, or did they take I don't know I don't know it was just weird look I mean I don't know if it's true or not I think there was mixed reaction to me coming down there and and as you get older you try not to listen to any of that so um I just went out there and tried to get on my game to be honest um and and that's 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 what I tried to get on with I think we drew nil nil was it uh, yes it was a draw yeah it might have been it was yeah. definitely a draw yeah yeah I think it might have been, you know what it was? It probably wasn't the, um, it probably wasn't the, I didn't get any reaction from the fans. It was probably something that I'd read in the paper after the game. And, um, you know, journalists have a tendency to try and, you know, manoeuvre and manipulate and, and, and a situation and, and, and give a certain type of perception. So mm. it was something that I'd grown used to um, you know, I mean, journalism has changed over the years because I think that now with um, social media and all the rest of it, you know, there's always two sides to a story. I think back in the day, you know, stories were heavily loaded on the side of the of the manager. You know, and that certainly happened early in my career where, 
you know, the, 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 the journalists are not going to fall out with the uh, management because otherwise they haven't got access to, the, to their stories in the club. So, yeah, it's certainly changed over the years. Yeah. You, um, you played up front with Jermaine Defoe. Was, yeah. it, was it clear or obvious that he wanted to leave West Ham when you were there? No, I had no idea. Really? I had no idea. I mean, I, look, I mean, let's be honest. Someone like Jermaine, he, you know, he was, you know, he wanted to play in the Premier League and he's a young guy. Of course, he's going to want to play in the Premier League. But never once did I pick up on it that he wanted to leave the club. And that's, you know, that surprises me that you said that. He, he didn't ever come across like that. He always went out there and it might have been that I was, we didn't know each other that well. But, it, you know, whenever, whenever we played together or whatever, he was always 100%. Mm. So you talked about getting your first goals for the club and they came in your actual home debut where you got two and we went 3-0 yeah. up, up against um, West Bromwich and Albion. West Brom. and, and, yeah. Yeah, and then you probably remember you got one in the wrong end, unfortunately, and then we went on to lose 4-3. We yeah. um, yeah. what, what, what kind of went wrong in that game? You know, 3-0 up, 4-3 loss. Well, we, uh, well, Jermaine got sent off. Yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, we, we were... We were comfortable. I mean, three 0 like you say, we we're coasting, and then, you know, we we kind of we had to concede space, and um, we just couldn't get out, and and it became a a case of attack v defence, and we didn't adapt quickly enough. Um, you know, we we lost. It's you know happens, um, but happy to score a couple of goals and. Like I said, you know, when you score a couple of goals, um, and they were decent goals as well, if I remember rightly, um, you know, it, it helps you to settle and, you know, it reassures the fans as well that, um, you know, that, you know, I was still, I had still had a bit in the tank, as I say. You did. And I think you scored six or seven goals for West Ham. Do you remember them? And if so, what was your favourite? Oh, my favourite goal was... Um, the goal I scored against West Brom away. Um, Curled it. Where, yeah, that's right. Yeah, left with my left foot into the yeah. bottom corner. Nice. Um, definitely my favourite goal down there. It just, I think the thing was when as you get older, you've got your timing and the amount of, you know, you're not as inefficient with your energy and and your movement in and around the box is better. Oh, that's why I told myself anyway. But. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, so, so I, you know, that was, that I was playing a percentage game then. So if I, if I was younger, let's say, and that ball had come to me when it had done, I might have been tempted to sort of like take a touch and then try and run the guy. But mm. by then what had happened was as the ball got rolled to me, I just used the pace of it um, to, to curl it round the keeper, if you get what I mean. I know it sounds a bit, you know, scientific, but all of this is happening in sort of like a split second. Mm. But you kind of, you get used to what you're capable of then, mm. you know, mm. so it would have been pointless me taking a touch and then trying to run somebody at 33, 34 it, within five, 10 yards. So it was a case of, you know, it was just a case of, it was a pass more or less. It wasn't a shot as such because I wasn't looking to generate any power. It was, you know, because I'd have, I'd have had to roll it onto my right foot and then try and smash it then. But that was just placing, that was placement. And um, so that's what I'm saying. You know, as you get older, you kind of, you know, you, you think more about 
be more efficient. Mm. Definitely. And so at West Ham, you played with Defoe, Harewood, mm. Connolly, Spora, yeah. I think Hutchinson yeah. had a spell up front. Um, how did you rate them all? Do you have a particular favourite you enjoyed playing up front with? Ah, you know what? I forgot about the goal I scored against Wolves as well. That weren't bad. Yeah, cup game. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to reminisce, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, but I've got a tear in my eye here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so um, I think if I look back, um, David Connolly was very good to play with. You know, he's an intelligent, sharp, sort of like player. Um, I think he fed he fed well off me. Um, I think Marlon was um, with Marlon. If if he could focus for ninety minutes, he'd have been frightening. But I, I just at times in games, I felt that he drifted a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But he had unbelievable ability. And I mean, look at some of the goals he scored. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Marlon should have um, for for his ability, his pace, his power. Uh, I mean, I remember him at Forest. He, he should have been sort of like, you know, at least involved in and around England. Um, but, uh, you know, it didn't happen for him. So, Marlon was a good player and he could play either down the middle or wide. Like I say, he was rapid as well. Um, you know, Bobby, well, Bobby's a, Bobby's a great player, isn't he? I mean, you saw what, yeah. um, what a, a, a career Bobby had as well. Um, so, yeah, there was... And and who was was there another one? Jermaine. Well, listen, Jermaine was. Um, I remember we used to do a, an exercise in training where we we'd sort of like one v ones, two v twos, and um, very rare. I know people say it all the time, but I used to look at him and think, this guy, it's like he never misses. And and when you get him in a one v one situation, it was, you know, the defenders could hardly ever deal with him. Uh, he was he was that good. You know, both footed, just just sharp. You know, very good player. Mm. Were there any other players that stood out to you at West Ham in terms of their quality? And also, two questions in one: Were there any players at the club that you especially got on with more than others and struck up a good relationship with? Um, I think, to be honest, you know, we all got on at that club, uh, it, that squad. I mean, everybody was, everybody got on in different ways. Um, I mean. You know, there was some fantastic. I mean, Michael Carrick was there, wasn't he? So that that mm. tells you. You know, look at the look at the um, the career Carrick went on to have. Did that surprise um, you, Dino, or not? Or did you expect him to do that well? Um, I think I think there was always potential, but you saw how good he got as he matured. You know, yeah. um, there was probably I, I think. You know, if you're if you're somebody who's a scout or you're a manager or whatever, you probably have more time to kind of look at somebody like him and say, "Well, I can see where his career's going." And I mean, Tottenham paid good money for him, got good service out of him, and then he went to Manchester United and he, and he he had a fantastic uh, career there as well. But we all knew he was a good player. But if you'd have said to me that he was, because he's really highly rated and and his career was highly rated a lot of players like playing with him his range of passing was fantastic he was an athlete as well so it's not surprising to a lot of people and not surprising to myself it's just you know that the kind of longevity that he had was 
You know, when you think how many years he played at Manchester United, who were the top team in the country at the time, you know, might have surprised a few people. Um, you know, so in terms of the, um, I think, like I say, I, I, I got on well with Wayne Quinn because we knew each other from Sheffield United. And um, it was, I, I went to, when I came down there, I went, I had a flat in New Providence Wharf and that's where Quinny was staying as well. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we, he kind of helped me out. Don Hutchinson was there as well. I knew Don. Um, but the, probably the, the, the funniest guy in the changing room was Kevin Orlock. You know, um, really, and Anton. Anton was Anton was quite funny, but um, Kevin Orlock was just on a different level. And um, <laughs> we we used to have our little jokes, me and him. You know, and and and, and uh, you know, I mean, I, the the thing with football batter is people don't always get it, so it's going to be pointless me kind <laughs> of saying anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair um, enough. <laughs> you know, but um, it, it's quite. It can be quite, you know, because of the slang and the and the kind of language that we, it's quite sharp. Yeah. Um, but other people would say, I'll give you an example. So we'd be talking about a player, and um, you know, talking about Cockney rhyming slang, we'd say. He's not the Taribo, is he? <laughs> not the best. <laughs> yeah, Taribo West. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, oh, he's not the lemon. You know what I mean? <laughs> lemon says, brilliant. <laughs> so that's so. So we would, you know, you know, or like, you know, one of the one of the one of the statements we had. I mean, uh, what two of the guys who used to be at each other's throat all the time was Anton. And um, Rio, Nigel, Nigel yeah. Rio, and um, you know, but it was all friendly banter, and um, it's funny because because Anton used to just bait everybody, and um, you know, like Nigel used to take it quite serious, and uh, you know, <laughs> so he used to call him, you know, they had their different names, and so sometimes like uh, Nigel used to call him Free or or you know. Because everything he got from his brother was free, you know. What I mean? <laughs> that kind of, you know, you know. So, but it, but it was it was brilliant. But Kevin Orlock was on a different level, and um, you know, the the jokes used to even get to the point where, you know, when when, when if Kevin was on the bench, he'd say, "Listen, fucking," he say, he say, "Listen, if you win the toss, make sure that you're kicking so that on the left side." So that the left footers are on the on the chicken run side first time, because like the on that far side they were notorious to giving people stick. You know what I mean? So mm. if you if you're in the bad books, you'd think right, okay, if you can get to play that way first half, then in the second half you'd have the big stand in front of you and you wouldn't hear all the abuse that the fans were giving out. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but you know, look, it's all banter. We can all look back at. It. I think one of our one of the sponsors at the trying was was in something was it intrinsic? Oh, um, was there a sponsor called Intrinsic? I don't mean X could spell that. I don't understand what it means. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but now we even we even used to you know me and uh, Kevin used to make jokes out of that even you know what I mean we used to go you went intrinsic blood you know what I mean. <laughs> 
you know what I mean? Imagine Kevin Orlock getting involved in that sort of banter, to be honest. Uh, well, he tries to be. He tries to be. Listen, he tries to be serious now. I think, but he was really funny. He was probably the funniest guy. He, honestly, his his banter was funny. Really, really good. Really good. <laughs> that surprised good me. Yeah. Um. So. So we. Um. At the end of the season, it was quite eventful. You got a, one of your um, seven goals against Wigan, um, and yeah. that allowed Crystal Palace to get into the yeah. playoffs um, at their yeah. expense. Do you regret scoring that goal in hindsight with what happened um, with them in the final? Listen, I was leaving the club anyway. <laughs> I'm all about scoring goals. Trust me, I'm there to score goals. You know what I mean? Don't give me any of that nonsense. You know what I mean? it's, it's funny because um, we because we, we played Wigan, and I think I actually broke my nose. But what had happened was, you know, I'd um, I was playing regularly, and then the gaffer dropped me, and um, we played um, we played against. Um, Sunderland at home and we were 2-0 down at half time and I remember I was furious I mean literally I was can, I, you know can I swear yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, mate, I was fucking furious man because <laughs> uh, I, I felt that I'd been scoring I think at that time I was like one in two for the games I was playing you know what I mean so I was like why am I being dropped but look you know I went into management I understand why to change perhaps he felt that I need I need you know I need the team to move quicker when we're in forward positions maybe you know because I was because I was less mobile and more of a physical presence then it you know it changed things you know what I mean so I get all that but there were times where I felt in that particular game I remember you know, we were 2-0 down and we were getting played off the park by Sunderland. Now, I was absolutely raging. Anyway, he brought me on at half-time, the manager, Alan Pardew, and um, I was just, I was angry. I think I just bullied their back four. And um, we ended up winning 3-2. Um, I didn't score, but I think I had a hand in one of the goals anyway. But after the game, I came in and I was, I was honestly, I was, I was near to tears because I was like, this, is, this isn't fair. You know, I didn't come down here to be put in this position but you know you look at things as you get older you look at things quite selfishly and you think look I want to play every minute of every game if I can and mm. um, and that and that was no exception down there you know I, I'd come there to play football um, and, I, and, I, and for me it was important that you know if I was if I was scoring goals that's how I saw it you know that I should start but look you know, he had a job to do. He had to pick what he thought was the best teams and, and so on. So, anyway, what happened was, um, yeah, so after the game, you know, we, we came in and had a debrief. And um, to be fair to Alan Pardew, he kind of, what he did was he said, listen, he said, guys, he says, listen, you know, I, I know he's not, I know he's not happy with me, but, you know, he came on and he, he changed the game for us, you know. So, you know, you got to, you know, he showed me what he really, you know, what, what this was all about for him. And, and I've got to give him credit for that. And I think you guys should. And, and I think you should give him a round of applause. So he's like, you know, all the, all the, all the lads give me a round of applause um, in the changing room after the game, you know. And I, and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry or, you know what I mean? But Did you, know, you find and, that patronising? Did you find that? Bench? No, no, not at all. Not at all. No, it meant it. It meant it. And the guys were like, 
Dino, man, you made all the difference, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was literally like that, you know what I mean? I'd come on and, and, and they didn't fancy it. I could see that the centre-backs didn't fancy it, you know what I mean? And, and we came back into the game and, and it wasn't patronising at all. You know, he came up, he shook me and he says, he says, you were immense and all of this. And, and, it, and it's hard when somebody, you, you know, I, I actually liked Alan Pardew. I know a lot of people did, he didn't get on, you know, but, you know, I, I felt that he, he, he did what he, what he needed to do. And, um, you know, in fairness to him, he was the first and probably the only manager who encouraged me to go into, into management because he felt I had leadership skills. And, and I congratulate him for that because, you know, for all the people who I played for, none of them, had the, none of them ever took the time out to turn around. Um, probably Graham Souness might have done as well, but none of the others actually turned around and said, well, listen, Brian, have you ever thought about this afterwards? And without that, I wouldn't have probably gone into management. So I have him to thank for that. You know, mm. a lot of managers are all in it for themselves. You know, mm. it's not about developing people because you have a duty of care. You know, you are, you are there to develop people, not just, not just to squeeze every drop of um, football out of players, but you've got to help them grow as people. And, and that was the thing when I became a manager. I'd, you know, I, it, my, I was the player in me still wanted to develop those players that I had, and you know, I tried to develop some of the players who I saw had exceptional ability. You know, for the next stage of their career. But um, but anyway, back to what we were saying. Um, yeah. So so after that, he kind of saw me as a, an impact player, which pissed me off even more because I thought, well, I'm not going to play again unless the team are struggling, you know what I mean? So anyway, I was on the bench against Wigan and um, I came on and it was a free kick. We got a free kick in the last couple of minutes and um, I just looked at my Michael Carrick and what I did was I spun out. So I started at the beginning, uh, I started at the front and I ended up sort of like just making a movement round the back and he put a beautiful ball up in the air and I've, I've, I've got above uh, Jason DeVos and headed it in and I broke my bloody nose. Um, but anyway, as I, was, as I was running back, I just ran, I ran, I sprinted back the whole length of the pitch, I think, to the West Ham fans. And, and there's a picture of me where I'm running with my arms out and you can see there's blood where my nose is and Alan Pardew's putting his hand out and I've put my hand out to tag him. Um, and, and that was it, you know. So, so Wigan um, ended up, sort of like not qualifying and, and some of their players were actually glad that they were in the playoffs. So uh, anyway, yeah, like you say, we get to uh, Cardiff now and, um, you know, I'm on the bench and, you know, the thing is I'd gone, I'd gone to the toilet and um, I, uh, I hear a massive roar. I think, oh shit, I wonder what's happened. Anyway, uh, two minutes later, I hear somebody, I hear, Deansy, Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> that means that Palace have scored. He said, and it was Nigel Rio Cook. He said, Gaffer wants you, Gaffer wants you. I thought, oh, here we go again. Fucking Red Adair. You know what I mean? But it didn't, um, it didn't quite work out, you know. And, you know, I, I, was, I was sick that, you know, my time down there ended like that. I mean, I had a fantastic year. I mean, there were some brilliant nights. We had the um, the playoff game against Ipswich at West Ham. I mean, that atmosphere was unbelievable. Mm. Um, you know, we, you know, the the fans down there was great. I think 
there was a game where I think I, I kind of there was one game where I I, I had a chance to score and, I, and because and I always blame myself for this because my head wasn't right because of the fact that I was I was sulking a little bit about the fact that I you know I didn't want to accept that I was you know a substitute now and I got a chance against Cardiff we drew that game nil nil actually and I had a chance to score when I came on and. You know, if I'd have been more focused, I think I'd have scored. But uh, it wasn't to be. And look, you learn, you learn, you learn. Every every kind of situation is a learning experience, and you know that that's the thing with football. When you're in that seat and you're a professional, you can't take your eye off the ball. Um, so uh, so yeah, that that was my one regret. Um, obviously, like I said, you know, look, I'm never going to turn down an opportunity to score. Um, I would have loved to have um, got the team, helped the team to get up, um, you know, in the playoff final. But it, but it wasn't to be. We didn't play very well. Um, we didn't play very well against Palace when we played them away either. Um, you know, so maybe you know the writing was on the wall, really. Mm. I mean, I think you knew that you were leaving the club is it fair to say that it, it, it didn't come as a shock to you when you did I mean how did you feel when your time at West Ham came to an end because obviously you ended up going back to Leeds which was a positive for you no doubt going back up north you're a Leeds boy going back to a club you love yeah 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 um, how did you feel <clears throat> I, I was yeah I was gutted I, I would have liked to have stayed another year but it wasn't to be and, and to be fair to Alan Pardew I mean like I said he, he kind of he was he, he was honest and he said look Brian I'll be honest with you, I'm going to look to go in a different direction next year. So, you know, and, and I was, you know, you got it because no one likes rejection, you know, but that's mm. that's what it was. And, um, but yeah, no, back up north and um, back back to where I lived. So um, I can't really complain. But I did, I did like it down there. It, it was great. Um, some nice people down at the club as well. Um, so no, no complaints. So obviously in your career, you've been up north, you've been to London, you went to Portugal, Australia, yeah, yeah. you've managed yeah. in Norway, and you now own yeah. a team in Kosovo, I believe. Um, uh, well, yeah, no, I don't own a team in Kosovo. <laughs> I thought that was a bit <laughs> random. No, there is something behind that, isn't there? That's Wikipedia's lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, listen, I, I've, I've been out um, to Kosovo to do some... Um, some business and basically just doing some facilitation stuff so um you know i i know people there you know because it's a young developing country there are opportunities and i've introduced i introduced with my partner um <clears throat> or my business partner we, we introduced some uh, a norwegian firm down uh, in the region and what they do is they do um city heating um facilities for you know like for example for the municipality so and, and you know they do a lot of green energy products and so on like that so that's how I found my way down there um yes I, I got in, in yeah I, I got involved with the club but the problem we had was that we 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 presented a um a strategy to move forward and it I don't think it was acceptable in the sense that you know it probably was a little bit too advanced in some respects for what they wanted down there you know we were talking about doing a kind of you know to bring because there's not a lot of money down there so it was it was going to be something along the lines of a, of a player trading platform um to develop and to, to develop young players and, and and help them to move on 
Um, but it, it didn't really, you know, it wasn't really where they wanted to go. And I, I thought, you know, I haven't got time for this. Do you know what I mean? So we, we kind of, we, you know, we're still friends, but, and you know, in terms of, you know, helping and, and consulting, that's all fine. But yeah, it, it didn't work out um, as it sort of like looked as though it was going to. And, and that, that was it really. Or oh, that is it. That's the current situation. But in terms of ability, you know, there's in and around the area, you know, you have Croatia and all the rest of it. There's some very talented young players uh, coming through. Um, mm. they, but the, the, the issues that they have is that they don't have the facilities that we have over here. And that's one of the biggest ways to develop players by having good facilities. Mm. So what does the future hold for you now, mate, moving forward? So, so my future, um, I mean, at the, I've set up a company with some other ex-professionals called Phoenix Sports and Media Group. And basically, it's, the, um, it, it's a kind of company that we wish we'd have had when we were coming through in terms of all kinds of advice. You know, we're, we're about um, building and rebuilding peop- um, professional athletes' futures. Um, you know, we, I, I come from the first generation of <clears throat> of um, Premier League players and um, unfortunately you know we've been we, we've been uh, exploited I would say generally now I'm just saying generally by the um, you know by some very unscrupulous um, advisors and people and, and if you see a lot now there are a lot of um, players who've, who've finished and, and they have um, financial issues and so on and you know it, for, for me it's about education educating the, um, the the new generation so there isn't um, financial grooming for example you know and but and, and the, everybody involved with the company so we, we we're, we're like I say we're we're, um, we're we're a group of ex-players but we have also gone and, and we're involved with people who are best in practice, um, you know, in, in different areas of business. Um, so, so that's really where my focus is right now. Um, so we have a, we, we have a training company, so we do online courses, we do courses up to MBA. Um, and it, and like I said, it, it's, it's things like leadership management, IT, cyber training, all of these things are, are, are what we cover and, and it's about not only um, sports people but like people from the army for example who need retraining because a lot of the um, a lot of the psychological issues are very similar if you're leaving football or if you're leaving the army it's very similar in that um, it's like PTSD you know you, you go from being inside a community to kind of being kicked out on the street and it doesn't matter sometimes how much money you've got. You have to learn how to cope and function on the outside. And, and there aren't enough support mechanisms in place in, in football. I've got to say that. I mean, there's a lot said. You know, I have my own, I, I've, got, I've got my own ideas about the PFA, for example. I'm sure you've, you know, you've got your own opinions of them. Um, I don't think, and I'm not going to give that, I'm not going to give anything away by telling them what I think they should be doing. I, I think we're just, here as a group of people trying to do the right thing with integrity um which is very important to us and, and the other thing is we're all accountable people so 
that's that's where my focus is um, in, in terms of making sure that the next generation of of, of um, football players, rugby, cricket, whatever, don't you know that they they're you know they're they're robust enough to look after themselves by the end of by the time they finish um, their careers, so they don't get financially groomed, for example. You know, we we also um, we're about to launch a um, service called Investor Rescue because, like I've just mentioned, um, a lot of a lot of ex pros and stuff have been looked after by unscrupulous people, or they haven't been given all the um, information enabled to digest what has happened with the money that they've made during their careers, and and it's and it can be a problem. So, look, nobody feels sorry for. For, for, for footballers but I tell you now a lot of the players who, who you know we're all we all come from sort of like lower middle class we're all working class and um, you know you think about the amount of money that's in the game now you know the players are um, you know they, they earn a lot of money do they understand the value of it I'm not too sure mm. but I also have to tell you we're not we're not an agency either so that's not don't don't think for one minute I'm, I work for an agency or something like that. This is about, you know, putting, making sure that when players finish playing, that they they understand, you know, what their responsibilities are to themselves. That's the most that that is a, is a win. Good luck to you, mate. It sounds fantastic, and without question, you know, you'd know better than anyone that there is a need for that in the game. And wish you all the best of luck with that, mate. One hundred percent. But listen, Brian. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on, mate. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. It really has. And I hope you've enjoyed um, your trip down memory lane uh, with your West Ham years because it's, um, it's certainly been enjoyable for us. Yeah, yeah no, honestly, it was a, I had a brilliant year down there. I, was, I think the reason why I was so upset was because I'd had so much fun and I, and I felt that I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to leave. But, you know, you know, it's a case of, you know, progress and, and I wasn't part of that, so... It is what it is. The economy is crazy right now. All-time high inflation, bearish stock market, rising home prices and interest rates. How do you figure it all out? Make your money go further and work harder with a certified financial planner professional from Facet Wealth. Financial planning used to focus on retirement, but with Facet, a dedicated expert guides you through every financial decision. Facet advisors are certified financial planner professionals and fiduciaries. That's just a fancy way to say they have the best training and they're legally bound to do what's in your best interest. This isn't just about investments. You get an entire team of experts within insurance, taxes, estate planning, and budgeting to make complex financial decisions easy. Facet has a simple flat fee, no hidden charges, and with nothing to sell, there are no commissions. Visit tryfacetwealth.com for two months free off your first year of financial planning. That's T-R-Y-F-A-C-E-T wealth.com. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Okay, mate, what have you got for us this week? 
Well, obviously there's not a huge amount because still the players, the officials, the club people, no one's really back in, um, in the swing of it yet. And they're kind of working from home. So again, we don't know whether the football season's starting and things like that. So there's so many unknowns that lots of the news that's out at the moment is relatively um, sort of guesses from most people. But as I've said on these podcast many a time recently we are prepared to listen to offers for most of our players um that includes some of our better players as well um that doesn't mean that we're wholesale selling but it it does mean that because of the financial situation we apparently find ourselves in that every player will be I guess, listen to. And if the a price exceeds our expectation, then it would be strongly considered. Now, I believe that a number of clubs have inquired about some of our top players. Um, so this is not there's no offer as yet but they have made intensive inquiries so far um, through the um, to the club so no offers we haven't accepted anything there's no hint that we will do at this point but it does show that clubs are circulating um, we're desperate to get a number of players off the wage bill you know, as I've said before Zabaleta and Sanchez will be going anyway but there's others like Yarmolenko um, and they'd like to get rid of Wilshire but obviously they probably won't be able to Winston Reed, uh, players like that. Um, I think they'd consider a jetty. I think they'd even they'd listen to offers for Lanzini, Anderson, Alaire, possibly if it was in the right region. So I don't think any of these sort of top top players are safe as such. Um, from potentially being considered sellable. I mean, I think the club's plan is to hold on to obviously like of Declan Rice and Bowen, of course, but um. Some of these big name foreign players, uh, you know, who knows what their future holds. But um, as I say, big clubs are circulating because they know our situation, um, which is worrying. Uh, in terms of players that are going to be potentially replacing those players, um, as in youngsters, Josh Cullen um, is another player that could have came into the side next year, but he's also got a number of clubs that want to bring him in permanently. He signed a one-year deal this season to keep him at the club longer, but he, from memory, is 23, 24 now. So I think he's going to say, unless I'm guaranteed a good run at the first team, then I'm going to take some of these offers up. Obviously, Nathan Holland got injured at Oxford. Actually, for once, his injury kind of coincided at a good time because, obviously, he wouldn't have been able to play anyway had he been fit, so it hasn't affected him too much. Coventry had started to impress at Lincoln. Um, obviously, Jeremy and Gakia had done well for us. He's been offered a new deal, which I mentioned on the podcast about a month ago, um, which he hasn't accepted yet. Um, club really needs to in my opinion, I don't know the actual figures, but probably need to recognise his potential a little bit more. Um, but we shall see with that one. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a bit of a uh, sort of turbulent time at the club. And with all the uncertainty in the world and in football, I think that's sort of been replicated with us. Um, that, as I said, the club want the games to be cancelled. They want the season to be voided no relegation, replay the season, but that's obviously because they've got vested interest in the fact that we are in a relegation battle. So we are one of those teams that have said we don't mind continuing the season as long as relegation is not um, it's not happening and it's so obvious if you look at the teams that are saying that, they're all the teams that are threatened with relegation and all the ones that um, aren't um, 
that aren't bothered by relegation. So, you know, the likes of, I guess, Everton and maybe Palace and teams like that, they're the ones that want to play the games. So the, the thing is, it's also on the interests of the individual clubs rather than the interest of, say, football supporters. Um, so this season has obviously affected the fact that it was our 40-year um, anniversary of winning our last ever trophy, which is pretty depressing, but the club mm-hmm. were intending to celebrate these 40-year anniversary now. Obviously, the situation as it is has put, uh, has put fault to that, but also, as I think some of the things that they had planned were taking a bit more time to agree because there was a difference in, I guess, offerings to certain players than there were to others so as as far as i understand there's been a little bit of backing and forth but um i think probably that's all been put to bed for the time being naturally um the new kit is apparently going to mark the um 125 years of our existence so if you remember in 1995 96 which is our 100 year anniversary the kit had those bubbles do you remember yep. with 100 in it so they're looking yeah so they're looking to do something for the 125th anniversary of our birth so to speak so i haven't actually seen the kits yet because again that sort of thing where i'd usually be able to get access to it you know there's no one in and around the places that these kits are being made now so yeah it's not as easy to obtain this information but uh yeah i should get it near the time and i won't leak it because that's naughty but i can at least describe it in words um once i've seen it as i've done for the last previous years um and yeah and that's about it really from my section so a couple of questions, mate. Yeah. Uh, I think it was yourself that broke the fact that the club aren't in a great financial shape. Yeah. You've said that we're happy to listen to offers for players. Are we actually proactively putting players in the shop window because of our situation? I think so, yeah, for some of them. Um, some of the more fringe-type players like the club are actively trying to get interest in Yarmolenko, I would say. Uh, obviously, that if they could, for Wilshire, for Reed. um possibly even the likes of Lanzini and maybe even Anderson. I think they are looking to move on some of these big earners. Um, I mean, it's too it's too soon to judge. And obviously there's been times when we've got into the market for championship players and they haven't worked out. But if you do compare the impact of Bowen, whilst it was only like three or four games, his impact arguably in the few games he's played has been as much as what Lanzini's offered all year. So, yeah, so I think like, I think that's kind of forcing the move a little bit as well. Okay. Um, and in terms of Jeremy and Gakia, mm-hmm. you say that um, he hasn't accepted a new deal. Is that because he's stolen or he's actually refused the offer that's been put forward? No, to he, ha- he hasn't refused the offer. Um, he got made an offer a, a long time ago. If, I, if you remember, I mentioned on the podcast that it was kind of reflective of a decent-ish scholar, but mm. not reflective of a potential first-team regular, which arguably he could be next year. Um, so I think there lies the problem. Okay, cool. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. That was great, as always. Don't go anywhere, because next it's questions from our collective followers on social media. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbours are probably already doing it. But who? 
they may drop little hints like beautiful day out even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with geico or yard work is hard much harder than bundling with geico which was easy or it may be even subtler like speaking of burgers we bundled our home and car insurance with geico and saved a bunch of money bundling is easy with geico just ask your neighbors Welcome back to the final part of the show, where as always you've been good enough to send us the questions and X is going to read them out. So this is from SE London Hammer. Do you think there will be a significant percentage of season ticket holders who, like me, have realised it's nice to spend Saturday stroke Sunday whenever with the family or just chilling instead of doing that awful walk back and from the London Stadium to Stratford? <laughs> yeah, do you know, I actually think there will be. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be big numbers, but, you know, I think with wives having their husbands at home and kids having their dads, I think it's going to be harder on the families when that husband and dad ain't around anymore on a Saturday, you know, and uh, I think that's going to become an interesting prospect when West Ham are not doing well. So I don't know. I think there will certainly be a percentage. What percentage? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... I, I'll be honest with you. I, for me, like obviously, I go to every home game, and roughly fifty percent, slightly less of the away games. Um, so it's a massive change in my life from not going to football. But I'll be honest, I don't think I've missed the actual football too much. What I've missed is the events. The social side, mm. you know, away games, yes, because that's not just the away game. That's the whole the whole day is fun. Um, but the home games, and he's right, that walk from the station to the stadium, it it, it makes me dread. It, a bit like in the games, I know it's not even that far, but in the game, I'm like, oh god, I've got that walk when I get back when we get out of here. And I must admit, I'm not missing the games are too much i'm missing football in general in terms of the banter the chats the stuff on tv the events and so on but the actual 90 minutes at west ham i'm i'm not so sure so i reckon if that's and that's me speaking as like you know a season ticket holder of 30 odd mm. years you know such a massive part of my life so those that are perhaps not as i don't know entwined as i was then there probably will be quite a few that are feeling like that, I'd imagine. I think there will be. And, you know, it, it depends It depends how much of a long walk in class it has because when it's pissing down with rain, it feels like a five-mile walk, doesn't it? Um, that's not ideal in itself. And then West, when West Ham ain't doing great, it's not brilliant. When people turn on the ball, it's not a nice atmosphere to be around. So there's certainly going to be testing times. But I just think at the moment, with lockdown being what it is, people are typically spending 24-7 with their wife and kids. And some people would say it's a good thing, some people won't. But yeah. I don't know. It, when all this goes away, the only time a lot of people are going to have with their families are on a Sunday because they'll be working from Monday to Friday and then they'll be at the football Saturday and Sunday's going to be that day going from seven days to one. So it's an interesting question. I don't think it's going to be a large percentage, but I think a small percentage, definitely. D-S-N-O nap or the snow nap or whatever i'm not sure what that says but would you rather west ham were relegated this season but guaranteed to win the fa cup next year or stay up and not win it for the next 10 years minimum oh 
God, yes. oh, I think that's such a difficult question there. I really do because, uh, uh, do you know what? I'm, oh, do you know, I would lean towards relegation, you know? I think I would if I knew that we'd come back the next season. Yeah, it but... doesn't. It doesn't specify how long you'll no. be relegated for. No. So if I, if it meant that we'd get relegated this year, we'd win the FA Cup. We we I don't know we come up next year either via the playoffs or automatic. Then I'm happy and I'd love that. And I've seen an FA Cup win and brilliant. Definitely would 100 percent take that. If we end up being like you know, Knotts Forest or Leeds or. Coventry or you know something like that Wigan you know Wigan won the FA Cup and got relegated I think didn't they or something like that um I think I wouldn't take it so it does depend on the amount of time you'd be in the lower league well rightfully so he hasn't specified that because I think it'd be too easy to answer but see the thing is you know when I die I want to be able to look back and say I saw us win a trophy because the last time we did, I wasn't alive and I'm not going to be on my deathbed thinking, car, do you remember that season in the Premier League in 2021? Car, blimey. Unless we've done something fantastic, which realistically in this day and age, with the amount of money and the amount of clubs overachieving and the, the situation that we're in, are West Ham realistically going to get into the Champions League, compete for a league title? When And, and on the flip side, yes, if you get relegated, it's catastrophic. I'm not overlooking that. But think of all the fantastic away days you'll have in that season. Yeah, that is true. You I know? prefer the championship in some yeah, way. that's what I mean. So in a sense, you're getting that old school feel back to supporting the football club again. And you would have seen your team win an FA Cup, which, let's be honest, you know, you're remembered for the things you've you've won. Not not necessarily the competitions that you've, you've taken part in, which the Premier League would have been. So I'm not saying it's an easy decision because relegation is a fucking nightmare, but... I think for those reasons, I think I'd uh, edge towards relegation. My my only problem as well that, I mean, I think I agree with you. I think I would go for relegation as well. But the only thing that makes it not as convincing for me now is how devalued the FA Cup has become in recent years. That's it's, still, it's still magical and it's still better than anything West Ham have ever won. I'd love us to win it. But when we won it in the 1980s or when... FA Cups were won in the 80s and the 90s or before that, it was significant and it was a magical day and it was the whole day and, you know, everyone was proud of the FA Cup winners. I could probably, don't put me on the spot, but I could probably go through the FA Cup winners of 1980s, uh, all, all the way through the 80s, probably most, probably all the 90s and tell you who won and who they beat in every FA Cup final. Well, you move, I know, it's a bit of a stato thing. But then <laughs> you move into the 2000s and when the Premier League started to take over and the Champions League and everything. Um, and I would start to struggle so much that I can remember who won it last year, but that's mm-hmm. only because of the significance of the result and the fact that me and you were at that ground. Do you remember? And had a big picture of it on the on the wall of Watford and that big picture of that bee. Do you remember with the yeah. FA Cup? Yeah. Only because I can picture that in my head, and then I picture they got battered by Man City. That I can remember who won it last year, the year before. I'm going to go that it was Man City the year before because I seem to think they won a cup in a row, but I'm struggling to remember what happened much before that. Whereas in the 80s and 90s, I can remember it far more clearer. And that makes me think that it's not as important as it used to be. But that said, it's still better than anything West Ham. It's better than an Intertoto Cup, isn't it? So, yeah. So, it's, it's definitely a head versus heart conversation because, you know, I also believe that football as I know it um, is dead. You know, yeah. the football I fell in love with growing up. 
And it kind of alludes to what you're saying about uh, the FA Cup back in the day and the old Wembley, you know, and, and you spending four or five hours just watching the build-up to the game, never mind nothing else. Um, yeah. You know, it's not a working-class sport anymore. You know, it's very commercialised, very corporate. So that element also thinks, well, if we was to get relegated, you know, if we're talking real life, I wouldn't want it. But in this scenario, what would you really be getting relegated from? You always wanted to play at the top level, but for what? For mid-table mediocrity? You know, but then if you go to the lower league, what are the away days you'd have? And, and the constant chase of promotion and the, the chase of winning something, which would be promotion or the league title, which is something that we won't see in the Premier League. So yeah. I, I think that's a tough question, Matt. So, so just cut to the chase. Would you take relegation in FA Cup with no idea when we'd return or would you stay in the Premier League? Um, I think I would take the FA Cup, yeah, because I think in recent years, since we've moved to the London Stadium, I haven't, I wouldn't say I've particularly enjoyed any season since I've been in the London Stadium. There's, no. been, ga- there's been games that I've enjoyed and individual matches, but on the whole, I haven't particularly enjoyed it. I don't get excited for games anymore, really, whereas... If we won an FA Cup, I'd be excited about that. And then, like you said, if you're in the championship, some of those away days are like more like football, I remember. And I think I'd be more excited for going back to the likes of like Knott's Forest and Leeds and, you know, some mm. of the big teams that are that are down there than I am going to, you know, White, the new White Hart Lane or Emirates or all these new stadiums that pretty much look much of a muchness. Right, okay. Um, so the next question is from Den underscore WHU. If you could only keep one, would you rather keep Anderson, Lanzini or Fornells? Well, for me, instantly rule out Lanzini. Yeah. This is between Anderson and Fornells for me. And it's, oh, it's, oh, do you know what? It's, that's a difficult question as well because you've got Fornells who shows real potential. And consistent potential as well. You know, he, he always seems to do something in the game for nows. Mm. Whereas Anderson blows your mind, but doesn't do it anywhere as much as he should do. Mm. So that's a difficult question, that. Yeah. I think I agree with you, mate. Oh, it's funny because we've both been almost identical in our opinions for the next, like, all the questions so far. But I agree yeah. with you. I think Lan- Lanzini is the one you rule out instantly because yeah. he's just not had any impact for the last couple of years. And also, I think really it's it, you're asking for nails or Lanzini because they're pretty much similar positions. So you so you're taking that. So that takes Lanzini out, and then you've got the dilemma: Do you go with Anderson, who potentially could be game a game winner on a regular basis? You know, he's that you know he's that star quality that you know, is a match winner if he's on top form? Or do you go for Nails, who perhaps isn't quite as an impact mm. player, but is maybe more consistent? You know, he got a number of assists in a row for a period for us this year. Bearing in mind, for Nails is younger. He's only been in the league for, you know, three quarters of a season or whatever. So he could still get a lot better once he's adjusted. He didn't really feature hugely um, at times. So he's only going to get better. For now, seems to be more, if you look at social media in a way, seems to be more, I don't know, saying, like giving indications that he's happy here than Anderson. So mm. I think I would possibly go for Fennell's. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same. I would say for nails on the assumption that we are going to continue to see a Philippe Anderson who is going to deliver 20% of his games as spectacular. Yeah. And I think I'm being generous there as well, to be honest with you, yeah. uh, with, the, with the percentage. So, yeah, I'm going to go full nails. Yeah, okay, me too. So this is at King underscore Cone. Um, if the Premier League returns and neutral grounds are used for the remaining fixtures, do you think this might actually improve our chances of staying up? Well, do you know, it depends what the players actually feel, genuinely feel about the London Stadium. Because one thing's for sure, you're never going to get a player come out publicly and say, do you know, let's be honest here, I can tell you seven to ten of those lads don't like playing here. You're never going to get that. Um, so it, it really comes down to how much of an advantage those players really see the London Stadium. I don't know if us as fans, if we feel it's an advantage, because it's quite a toxic, negative atmosphere. Certainly when things are not going well, uh, I, I, I can't see it being more of an advantage than playing at home, if I'm honest. Yeah, again, funnily, I agree with you because I think if the games that stand out in our remaining fixtures um, that we had at home are Burnley, uh, Watford, Aston Villa, and I would be reasonably comfortable in my head. Even Chelsea, I think we still had to play at home, didn't we? I'd be reasonably confident, certainly the first three, that we would have got a result in all of those three games at home. If we was to be playing those three away from home, mm. what well, we will, we have, haven't we? Because we, I think from memory, we lost at Burnley, did we? Yeah, we beat, who did I say? Aston Villa, that was a draw wasn't it? Um, mm. And who was the other one? Uh, Watford, Watford. We, won, we won away, but yeah, if we was to, but we've, this is a new Watford now um, if we was to play those three away I'd think we'd struggle if we was to play them at home, I'd expect us to win so that makes me think that we that home advantage is still um, you know, powerful for West Ham um, I think it would benefit certain players, I think possibly Anderson and Lanzini like we spoke of the last games might in the last question, might actually be better in a neutral venue because possibly the expectation of West Ham fans on their shoulders maybe Allaire as well is really high because of the nature of who they are and their transfer fees and so on, that perhaps in a neutral venue when the pressure isn't there they may actually perform better then yeah, you that, expect that winds me up even more. Yeah, I know, I know now what that, you mean. That doesn't bode well for the future. And the thing is, I, I make you right. I think the sort of mentalities that you're dealing with, especially Anderson, you know, it's it's all well and good. We've had this conversation so many times in this podcast. I won't overemphasize the point. It's all well and good having the ability, but to earn the money some of these players are earning, you have to have the psychological strength to go with it because that makes you an elite player and these players are on elite wages and you can't help but feel cheated by some of these players sometimes when they're picking up the wage packets they're picking up and giving nothing back and if it's going to take a neutral stadium away from your own home to see these level of performances and you've got to fuck them off yeah yeah i agree with you and the thing is football um behind closed doors it's just it's just not what football is i don't know no. if it was true because i never actually read the article but i saw the headline on twitter yesterday i mean it was in the daily mail possibly and i, I honestly don't know if this was true or not so it could have been a wind up but they were saying that they were going to let there was some some company had the facility that if you're watching a game behind closed doors on tv that you have an app that you can generate sound noise on 
<laughs> like crowd noise. <laughs> so if enough people press the same app button at the same time, it sends like a chant into the stadium or something. I mean, it, even if that was true, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it'd just be so random. Like, you see, like, I don't know, I'm forever blowing bubbles, belting out, and knowing that there's no one actually there. It's just, it's just stupid. Like, I don't know. Like, you see, the German league's going to restart. Uh, yeah, yeah, I so know. So it'd be really interesting. That's actually a question coming up. I'll talk about that in, in a bit later. But um, I just, I, I know I'm slightly biased because I think it would benefit West Ham. But I just think even if I take that bias away, I think the only thing you can do is cancel this season, just literally pretend it didn't happen, and then just start the new season when it's safe to do so. Yeah, just to add to that, I agree, um, with the exception of forget it never happened because... I think we should cancel this season, start next season on the same points that everyone's on as it stands. Yeah, that, I mean, that's I my have, opinion. Yeah, I mean, I have said that as well. I wouldn't be against that. No, I wouldn't be against it. I that's think the that fairest would, way, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that would reward Liverpool. Across all leagues. Yeah, yeah, it would report. But then, but then, pardon me, thinks you have to play the remaining eight games if you're going to do that because, because they could argue that you know that, that certain teams we're going to get more points in the remaining eight games than other teams. So then it's still unfair. So part of me does think if you're going to do that, you have to play the remaining eight games as well, and then carry all of those points over and maybe build those eight games into the season somewhere. So West Ham would play next season. They would play Burnley at home twice. Yeah. But then um, if, you, if you're going to play the remainder of the eight games, then you'd, you'd get the season done anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah, but you're not you're not getting them done like as the first port of call. If that makes sense, you're building them into the next season. So you're oh, not oh, right. so, okay. so like you're starting the season in like August or September, and but those eight games are going to be played at some point across that year. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so maybe a couple of extra midweek games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're yeah. saying. Okay, right. Yeah. So this is from at NJ Stanley one, and he said, "Have you ever tried to get Winston Reid on the podcast?" And I thought I'd answer this because people may say may question why we never have current players on the podcast anymore because mm-hmm. there was a period of time when obviously we had Declan Rice, we had Nathan Holland, Connor Coventry, um, Dan Kemp, Robert Snodgrass. Snod- yeah, Robert Snodgrass. And there's a couple of players, Snodgrass being one, a few others that have said that they would come on for us and they would come back. You know, we got good, you know, we've had you know, we've had Declan on before, so I'm sure he would come back on. I'm sure Nathan would, Connor would, Robert Snodgrass would. Obviously, we know uh, David Martin through Alvin. Um, there's a few other players that follow me on Twitter that I'm sure would come on. Um, and same because you know people as well. But unfortunately, the club don't let us do that anymore. So that's the answer, really. We're, yeah. we're not allowed to have current players. Yeah, and that, and that was something that's club official. It's gone out to players you do not do anything external um, without the uh, permission of the um, media manager or director or whatever he likes to call himself. So they're basically saying don't do anything with anyone else um, West Ham related unless it's official. So, Which is a shame. Which is a shame because, yes, I know they want to get all the publicity for themselves. And, yes, they have to be careful what players say that could be damaging to the club. But... We've done so many podcasts with players now, including current players once upon a time, that you would hope that they could look at our track record and know we've had the chairman on, for goodness exactly. sake, you know. Like you'd think that we um we've got a track record of not 
stitching guests up and actually it enables those players or whoever to get Pub, like positive publicity for themselves whereas if they if they go on the club website where everything's filtered and everything's like almost written for them people don't pay any attention to it because they know it's kind of scripted as if they come on our podcast they know that it's whatever they said is their kind of genuine feeling mm, yeah and also we've offered countless amount of times to you know if it's pre-recorded we make it very clear if there's something that you said that you're not comfortable with if it can be changed or even if it's live or pre-recorded we always say you know you can have a copy of the interview before we we publish it so we can't be any fairer than that no exactly um, and you know going back to what david gold said when he came on our show the reason he chose the west Hamway podcast is that he felt that our podcast was the best way of reaching West Ham fans unofficially, which was the biggest compliment I think we've ever had. Oh, but, massive, right? And he was going to come on again as well. That, that's right, but but you know that that's that's what he said. So if you if you're looking to get past all the flowery kind of protected social media uh, official um, barrier of an interview of a player, then go keep going through the West Ham website. But as X rightfully says, a lot of people know that it's going to be scripted and overprotected and safe questions, like ridiculously safe questions. So people don't tend to pay too much attention to it. Whereas, the, you know, when they come on our show, for example, they do. So yeah, who mean, knows? We'll see what I, you n- I never, I never look at the club website. Never. No, um, I don't. Uh, and I, I don't. and I never read any interview that's on an official thing the only ever time i'll read an interview of a player is if we are if, if you know if we haven't done it ourselves is because it's a player that interests me that no longer plays for us that perhaps i haven't heard much about um but i would never and, and it has to be independent as well uh, when i see you know west ham website interviewing whoever tony cotty whatever julian dix i'm not interested as much as i love those players because i know there won't be anything particularly controversial or interesting in there yeah, spot so, it's, on. so it's a shame. Right, this is at Benji Rocks eighty nine. If you had to choose to have one back, who and why? Arnie, Pie, or or Defoe? Cheers for the show, lads. Really keeping me going. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's nice to say that. Um, fucking hell, I think. Are we talking in their prime? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I think. No, I think um, prime. Yeah, uh, prime. I think, you know, oh, God. I, I would rule out Arnie. Yeah, me too. Uh, fucking hell. Because you've got the goal scorer in Defoe and what a goal scorer he was. And you think possibly if you're playing with two up front, you've got him and LA, that could be lethal. But then if you're talking Dimitri in his peak, fuck me, have we seen a player like that in our lifetime? Yeah, this is the thing. And also, it, it'd be quite nice if he got Defoe at his peak, meaning that he never played for Tottenham. That'd be quite mm. a sort of subplot, which would be quite nice. But uh, I think for me, if you're going to go for it, yes, West Ham have lacked a goal scorer for uh, so many years. And, you know, we let Defoe go way too young. And I, and I think when we had opportunities to bring him back, yes, it was towards the end of his career, but I think we should have. Um, so... My, that is in my brain, but I think if you're going for actual quality, you know, um, Pae was nominated for the Ballon d'Or. He, the memories he gave us in that last season, you know, will never be taken away. On his day, Pae was world class. Mm. You couldn't say that possibly about the other two. So, with that in mind, I'd go Pae. Yeah, me too. 
what is this, mate? Are this constantly yeah, agreeing? Like, we've, been away, <laughs> we've been away from each other for too long. <laughs> we're subconsciously <laughs> pining for each other. Yeah, exactly. We're like a happily married couple now. But, uh, <laughs> um, this is at West underscore Ham for life. If the season is null and void and the season's results are got rid of, will the deal to Suchek be in doubt at all? It's an interesting one. I don't actually know the answer to this and I'd be interested to know if the club know the answer to this as well because technically if we stay up this year his deal was to be made permanent. It was like a clause. Um, So I guess by definition if we don't get relegated by whatever reason that is he should be a West Ham player but obviously these are not normal um, scenarios, so I actually don't know what the, what the situation is with him, and I, I would be surprised if the club know entirely. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I'd be pleased yeah. if we did sign him because I liked the look of him, and I think he was kind of what we were missing at Sleeping Jew. Um, it's now hard to find anyone sympathetic to the Olympic Stadium. So I ask hypothetically, if given the choice, would you rather move back to Upton Park, as it were, before we left, or start from scratch and build a new stadium on a random plot of land anywhere in East London? No, I'd rather go back to Upton Park all day long. Yeah, me too. Me too. Whilst it was nice to have a... A big, a bigger stadium with supposedly better facilities. It just hasn't got the character. It hasn't got the history. It hasn't got the memories. So yeah, I'd go back to Upton Park in a flash if I could go back as us as a championship club, even possibly a League One club. But be at Upton Park, I think I'd go back. Yeah, and uh, you know, I run the risk of contradicting myself because I was very much behind the move. Yeah, me too. You know, whilst I had a broken heart, I, I thought that it was the right thing to do to go to a big, new, shiny stadium because to progress as a football club, that's what you should be doing. But you know, obviously, we didn't do it in the right way. The stadium wasn't what we all bought into, so we had our fingers burnt there. I mean, if you're talking about designing the absolute perfect stadium, I don't know. In hindsight. Even with that new stadium, with the current owners, is that new stadium going to take us to Champions League football? Is it going to let make us be title contenders? I'm not sure it would be. So, really, putting it into perspective, I think I'd rather keep the history and nostalgia of the bowling, to be honest. Well, me too. And what you could have done at the bowling is develop the East Stand. Now, I hate to say that because I was a season ticket holder in the same seat for 30 years, but actually, that was the only stand that hadn't been developed for in recent history. So if you redevelop that, made the stadium approximately, you know, 44, 45,000. I think that's all we need, really, because that would cut out the, the like the wannabe fans that come for games and fans of other clubs getting seats and stuff. And you'd have your passionate West Ham fans, bigger stadiums, still where our roots were. And I think that, with hindsight, would have been what I'd done. Yeah. Um, at Guy four one one two seven two three eight, if Red Bull offered to buy the club and replicate the work they've done at Leipzig, Leipzig, sorry, and Salzburg, would you take it? Um, so give me a snapshot of of what that work is. So basically, um, it's a really interesting story, Leipzig. So they were a like German third, fourth division team in a tiny little village. You used to get like 2,000 
supporters and then Red Bull bought them and they turned their name from wherever their name was before to Red Bull Leipzig, Leipzig, sorry, Leipzig, I keep crossing the two, Leipzig and <clears throat> ploughed loads of money into them. So on their kit, their badge has the Red Bull emblem, I think, and their stadium is called Red Bull, I think, and also very heavily decorated towards Red Bull, but they are third in the German league behind Munich and Dortmund, or they might even be second. They're definitely up there, and they've been challenging for trophies ever since. They have big investment, but they've basically completely rewritten the whole history of the club and almost formed a new club in their place. So we would become probably Red Bull West Ham, have a stadium that was very much associated with it, have our badge changed, yet have big investment? Um, well, my answer would be no. And some people would think I'd be crazy for that because maybe with that level of investment, it would mean that we'd challenge. But I just think if that was the case, I put myself in that position. I try and throw myself into the future. And I think I'd be sitting there thinking, who am I supporting these days? You know, yeah. I, I grew up at Upton Park. That's gone now. I'm at London Stadium, which I'm I'm trying to love, but realistically never will, and neither will nobody else. So I think if now we're talking about another badge change, and now we're talking about the fucking name changing, I don't actually know if it's any different to West Ham going into administration and starting all over again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it is it's literally supporting another club. I mean, I've just quickly loaded up Wikipedia, and they were in some southern area league in 2009, and then Red Bull took them over, changed their name, and they've literally just been on a continuous like promotion all the way up until um, they got to. Uh, they got to Champions League, finishing runners-up in the Bundesliga. So, you know, they've literally... Good luck to them. But, But, you know, why is it every other club can get these takeovers? You know, Chelsea, Man City, Man United even have further investment without changing their names. Why has it always got to be West Ham are the team that are potentially going to fucking fall apart the seams in terms of their history to make this happen? Even Newcastle. You know, I, I, I doubt that they'll see too much of a change. Maybe they will, but no, nah, I, I, fuck me. At least let us keep our name, for fuck's sake. And if they bought us, we wouldn't, would we? So, no, nah, my answer's no. At PK Dido Mead. I think I got his name wrong last time as well. Looks like football will be played behind closed doors for the foreseeable future. If the club had to cut three high earners and not replace them to save money, who would you get rid of? Oh, Sanchez. Yeah. Wilshire, yeah, Lanzini, yeah, I think uh, I'm well, not the same. Possibly Winston Reid or Yarmolenko over over Lanzini. Um, yeah, I think uh, I would. I think I'd yeah. definitely go Sanchez. Definitely go Wilshire, and then it's yeah between Yarmolenko. Well, at, least, at least Lanzini plays. I mean, he's he's shot his bolt in my opinion, and he hasn't given us anything for the best part of eighteen months. But at least he's available for selection. With Winnie, he's missed more football than Andy Carroll did collectively. Yeah. And he's on 70, 80 grand a week. So, yeah, I think you're right. Reed, Wilshire, and Sanchez are the obvious ones, aren't they? Yeah, there's a few Bob there, aren't there? Yeah, exactly. Um, Adam Tranet, what's the weirdest talent, hobby, or West Ham player, past or present, has had outside of football that you know of, i.e., Grady, Dean Garner being a really talented RT 
artist? Well, when I saw that question, the only thing I could think of, and I was really trying to wrap my brains for talent, and you know, I couldn't think of anything other than, do you remember, uh, well, two things I could think of was Freddie Lundberg, obviously he used to be a Calvin Klein model, didn't he? For, yeah. uh, so I don't know if that's a talent or not, but that was one <laughs> thing. And you remember Nobby Solano? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from memory, he used to play the what's it called that little band no the banjo or the, um in a in a South American <laughs> Latin um, orchestra so Did I they? guess that yeah apparently I think I'm pretty sure whether it was the banjo but it was certainly some South American instrument and he used to play in a band so I think that is literally the only thing wow. I can think of well it's slab yeah. as well don't forget he plays um, guitar in a band and he a Croatian yeah. metal or rock band or yeah. something or another um yeah I'm not so sure I'm not so sure on that one. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think know. I'm going to go Nobby Solano. Um, uh, uh, sorry, there's quite a few questions here, but I know I said there's only a few, so I better go quite quickly. But uh, <laughs> uh, Hammers fan 02380, how much would you pay for a streaming service, service that included live coverage of all Premier League matches? Yeah, so we've covered this recently as well, and this is something I really think they should do and to a degree can't believe they they haven't. And I say they haven't. Maybe they're they're in talks about it. I don't know. But it's an absolute no-brainer for me. I mean, I think a, a fair price would probably be between 15 and 20 quid a month, probably. See, I'm thinking even more than that. If you get to watch every Premier League game, so effectively, obviously, <clears throat> I'd choose West Ham games if I wasn't at it. But if there was like, you know, now when we're in a relegation battle, say, and you, it was like... I don't know, Aston Villa v Watford, but that wasn't a game on Sky, and you could watch that as well. I think I'd pay... It'd be worth the same sort of money as a season ticket, I'd say, really. Mm, I don't know if, if people would... But I think you're comparing it on... Well, yeah, I think you're comparing it on what prices are like for streaming services on the whole. But if you think about value, I think it'd be worth a season ticket because basically you're getting a season ticket, aren't you? Yeah, but then... Yeah, well, yeah, you are, but then... But for away games as well. Yeah, you are. I mean, it's... Obviously, it's very different, isn't it? Because you're not there. So, you, yeah. you're... You know, you're. It's, it's how much do you value the experience of being in the stadium, home and away, versus sitting at home. You're, you're quite right. There probably is more value into it. That, I mean, but then again, I don't know. You get, you get every... I know you're saying I'm comparing it to other streaming platforms. To a degree, I suppose I am. But then you've got DAZN that show every single... You know, boxing match in certain regions or something like that. If you're a boxing nut, you're in your element there. I think that's ten to fifteen dollars. I think, but I don't know. I think, you know, a lot of people out there, probably myself included, won't watch anyone else other than West Ham. Yeah, I don't watch much. To be fair, I don't think I've watched match of the day all year. Do you know, I, I feel like my knowledge of other teams is yeah. getting worse and worse every year. I'm like that. I, I personally, I think a fair price point. And and they'd make a shitload of money because a shitload of people would subscribe, in my opinion, would be between 15 to £20 pound a month. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, do you know what I was thinking as well? If my football, my lack of knowledge, you know, like if I walked down the street now and like in when I was a kid, where I where we grew up, you know, occasionally you'd see like Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, you know, QPR, sometimes players walking around the streets. You'd be like, oh my God, look, there's whatever. I think now... If I was to walk down the same streets and players from Arsenal and Tottenham walk past me, unless they were like 
the top, like the obvious ones, like Harry Kane or David Luis or someone like that. I'm not sure I'd recognise some of them. You know, like, I'd know their names and I know what position they play. But yeah. I don't think I'd recognise. I certainly wouldn't recognise like if a Watford player walked past me, unless it was maybe Troy Deeney. I don't think I'd recognise any of them. I think no. if if a uh, you know, an Aston Villa player walked past me. I don't know if I'd recognise them either. So, yeah. I mean, like, but back in the day, I'd have recognised any Premier League player that walked past me. Yeah, it's true. I remember bumping into Samasia Boo at Rollerball in Collier Road. <laughs> and uh, I was in a West Ham shirt. I was only a kid. I walked past him. I noticed him straight away and he noticed me. And I think his English was either rubbish or non-existent. But he just looked at me and went, all right. <laughs> and I think that was all right. I uh, think you've made that up, mate. That sounds no, like one of your crazy dreams. That's true. I think it's probably the only word he knew. And I know <laughs> the way I've said that almost sounds a bit sort of nonsense, but it wasn't <laughs> like that. I wouldn't say nonsense. I'd say like drug dealer. He was my, <laughs> my kind of impression. But like he sort of yeah. opens up his like, uh, like uh, Mac and this. I know it's what a perv would do, but opens up his Mac and there's a load of coke in there or something. Yeah, That's the impression I've got. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I've had that sort of experience with him, but he Maybe. definitely said all right to me in broken English and I think my jaw just hit the ground and uh, that was it. I couldn't really give anything back at the time, but yeah, but you're quite right. You know, I think as a kid, you know, uh, I don't know if in this day and age more so than when we were kids because footballers just seem so much more accessible these days than they did back then, either through social media. But when you used to see a footballer back in the day, I think you just, they were more like rock stars back then for me because, you know, if you saw them in the street, you'd only ever see them at a football match. Yeah, yeah, very true, yeah, yeah. Now, on social media, they're posting videos of them being here, there, everywhere, and you feel like you see them every day, even though you're not with them in person. So I think it was more special back then than it was, uh, than it is today, in my opinion. Yeah, that's probably very true. Um, so I think we we'll skip that question because we've kind of covered it. And there is quite a few left, mate. I'm really sorry. So I'm going to do this quickly for you. Uh, ben Stutman, mainly for Dave. Hypothetically, if clubs could sign players before finishing the season, would you rather go down or re-sign Anatovic and stay up? Not, necess- <laughs> not necessarily saying he would make the difference. But yeah, he wants to know yeah. your opinion on that. Uh, I'd, I'd definitely re-sign him so we could stay up. And then I'd put him with the fucking stiffs for the rest of the season and sell him for nothing. (laughs) And happily take the loss. Yeah. See, I think I would I'd do the same. I'd sign him up almost like knowing that I wanted to fuck him off eventually. It's like it's like a ex-girlfriend, isn't it? Like you you might like that split up with you and then comes back to you. It's almost quite nice if you took not that I've ever done this, but I'd imagine it'd be nice if they came but if you took them back for a couple of weeks, made them sort of fall in love with you or whatever, or made them think, yeah, we're back together, and then you go and end it with them, almost like so you have the final word. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? Like you'd yeah. get the final word on on and out of it so to speak and yeah you get to stay up in the process um at johnny wakeford johnny underscore wakeford how many takeaway curries have you had since lockdown started <laughs> and have i been sending you the money across for the curry bets and stuff <laughs> um do you know what i actually haven't had a single takeaway since i've been in isolation You're and maybe not i promise you mate and maybe we're taking the whole isolation thing a little bit too far especially considering that i'm still working but we're you know there's that element of doubt that if um someone someone's cooking my dinner and coffee and sneezing all over it with coronavirus <laughs> what what will happens then so because of that 
I haven't had a single one. I do no. miss it, I'll be honest, but I haven't had a single one. Yeah, that's fair enough, mate. A lot of people are doing the same. I mean, on average, I have probably once a week, to be honest with you. But having said that, one of the reasons I'm only having one once a week, because I normally have two, if I'm completely honest, the odd occasion three. Um, <laughs> a day? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, a day. <laughs> but in all honesty, when the sun's out, I'm very much a fire pit barbecue man. Uh, yeah. So I've been smashing the life out of that recently. Not so much last week because the weather was shit, but the week before when we had that weather, fucking hell, I was doing meat on the fire pit for lunch, for dinner. Um, you just can't beat it. So that's what I've been stacking up on. I, I, I have been drinking more than I normally would do, to be honest yeah, with you. I have actually, because you know, like out of the two of us, you're much more of a drinker than I am. Yeah. Um, and I would say that I've, I've not like heavily, not at all, but certainly had more during the day than like during the during days day. I have no well sort of <laughs> stroke evening than I than I have before. But I mean I haven't been getting pissed, but I've drunk yeah. more sort of steadily than I usually do. So I'm a bit of a binge drinker. Uh, when I get on it, I get on it and often make myself ill, but I don't drink much often uh, very <laughs> often. So okay. yeah. Um right, sorry. Uh I guess. I mean, this question we've kind of answered at Nobby Hammer, basically saying, simple question, is football as we knew it gone? What do you think will we be coming back to? Keep up the good work and look forward to seeing it at an event sometime. Yeah, 100%. 100% is, is gone. It, do you know, it breaks my heart, really, when you think about it. It really does. And don't want to dwell on it. But, you know, growing up as a kid, and I, and I think it wasn't just because I was a kid. It was because of how magic football was back then. Back then, it was a contact sport. Tackles were tackles before technology. You know, and, and when players weren't overpaid fucking show ponies and they did it because they loved football and they were winners and they wanted to play rather than just carve out a, a pension for themselves at the age of 20. And I just think, you know, when you back then you had like your football stickers coming out, you had match of the day with Des Lynham, you know, that they were the days they were. And even, you know, actually going to the game, you, you know, Upton Park was Upton Park and away days were away days and everything was working class. And that's what I think the difference is. Back then it was a working class sport that you could relate to and you had, football was your escapism, whether you, you know, uh, of any age. And that was the time with your family. But these days, football sold out. So I think the, the comment you made at the end there, what are we going back to? I think it's quite right. We all miss football because fundamentally it's a sport that people love. But actually, the magic surrounding that game is is dead and has been for a long time now. Yeah, and I think because of what has gone on in recent weeks, I think it's going to be different anyway. Like I think, mm. you know, atmospheres at games probably be different. Will they have to bring in social distancing? I mean, how the hell is that going to work? I mean, I for example, yeah. I mean, how the hell, realistically you can't ever play football again if social distancing is in place. You can't, where you're not allowed to go within two meters of anyone. You get the ball, you run in a straight line because no one can come within two meters of you, and you shoot at the goal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is what football is because, yeah. uh, and, you, and, you, yeah. and you can't get, because you can't go within two meters. So I don't, I don't have a clue what's what's going to go on. It's, it's like it's life changing, and it's a, it's an event that's so significant in history that will be talked about for years to come. Yeah. Um, the, like, awesome. yeah, exactly. And I just don't, I don't know. It's so so bizarre. I mean, hopefully it will come back to bordering like what it was before all of this. But can who I knows? Have, can I just have a, a, a very 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 quick non football related rant? Right, that yeah. I'm. I'll say this to my wife and my pals pretty much every day. I want to share it with everyone because I'm sure it's not just me, right? 
Now, obviously, you respect the government restrictions and the rules and regulations. Of course you do. But let me give you an example, right? And, and I challenge anyone to tell me I'm wrong, unless it's just the layout of this shop I go to. I go to Tesco Extra, right? A little one down the road. And you join the queue. Typically, there is a queue, 40 to 60 deep, on a Tesco Extra. And you have to keep two metres apart. I totally understand that. One in, one out. You sanitise your hands. Two metres apart. Well, fuck me, the second you get to the end of that queue and you go in that shop, it's impossible not to break the two-metre rule. Because you go down an aisle and then someone in front of you might forgot the cheese, might have forgotten the cheese. So they come back, they cross you to get the cheese. Yeah. And then you'll go and there's a staff member stacking shelves that doesn't move the whole time you're walking past him. So it's like, what are the fucking rules here? Why, why in theory... Can I not have a friend, and I haven't done this, but I'm just saying for, for the sake of this argument, why, for example, can I not have a friend go through the side gate of my garden, sit on a chair with his own drink in the sun, keeping two metres apart the whole time, right? Why can't I do that, but I can go to one stop or go on a bridge in London and, and clap the NHS oh, with, with every other bastard fucking rubbing shoulders with you? Like, well, what are the rules here? Well, exactly. You think about schools as well. I mean, this is going. It's a different show here, but when children go back into schools, yeah, if you're going to implement two-metre distancing, how the hell do you tell that? It's like a four-year-old or a five-year-old that they've exactly. got to stay to. Do you now have to bring in part of your behavior policy that if a child goes within two meters of another child that you have to give them a, a sanction you know like because realistically how can you tell a four-year-old a five-year-old they've got to stay two meters apart from and and how can you work in that environment anyway because you've got to hand over you know work to the teacher you've got to be marked you know you do any pe you've got to go close to each other you won't be able to do assemblies you know things like that so you mm. think of education it, it won't work if you think about like they talk about in pubs you're going to be restricted to free pints what's the point if you've already walked into the pub and you've been there for free pints i could make you know me i could make free pints last the whole night so mm. why why do i get to stay the whole night as opposed to someone that smashes free pints in half an hour or whatever like you know it's it's um it's, it's crazy, i don't know it's, it's really weird i don't get it. i just want it all to end i'm fed up of it mm. now but uh anyway um uh i'm going to come back to this question um because i think it ties into the last thing we're going to say so do do remind me what um what it says um it's just literally as it's weird that you should say that actually because it's just popped up on my phone i have this like thing that gives me headlines around the world for news and it's just popped up and it's just said brits will be allowed to have picnics in the park from monday which they get with their friends which is basically what you're saying about your garden oh, really? isn't it so yeah so maybe right. that's what's coming okay. um, so i'll see you on monday mate um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so and this one's this one's quite a good question but i think we should save it to another podcast because we haven't had much time to think about this funniest story from an away day and obviously we've had some great away days together <laughs> and i think in order for us to do that question justice we need to probably actually think about what it is apart from the obvious choice of De this is from wh usc fan zone um apart from the obvious choice of declan royce pick one player from the first team that you think should not be sold under any circumstance um Oh, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's funny and, and it must be the reason he's asked the question, but I can't say that anyone instantly jumps to your mind like Declan would do. But I mean, I, I wouldn't sell Antonio. I wouldn't sell a Bonner. 
I mean, you wouldn't get much for him anyway in this day and age, to be fair. Um, I, I, and, you know, maybe, maybe I put far too much time and patience into him, but I wouldn't entertain any offers for Hilaire either. Really? Yeah, honestly, Jeez. I wouldn't. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. If someone comes forward and said, I'll give you 60 million for him, I would. But if we're talking about shifting players out the door, you know, I, I would, for example, I wouldn't take 30 million for him. I, personally, I would. Jeez, I would. I would. want my money back. No. Okay. I see this is I, where I, me and you are. I think it's a diamond in the rough, you know. Give him, just give him this season, and I'm going to make my judgment on him next season. Fair enough. I mean, I, I must admit, I would definitely take that for him now. <coughs> Cut our losses. Um, I'm not would saying... You take that, probably, yeah. I'm not saying... I, I think he's awful. I think he hasn't been um, used as best as he probably could have been. But um, I think... <coughs> sorry, yeah. I would definitely... I wouldn't be bothered if he went now, to be honest with you. Um, maybe he has got more to offer. The one that, for me, that I wouldn't sell is Bowen. I think he's came in, he's pretty yeah, excited the fans and proven what a, a quality player he is. That um, mm-hmm. He's the one that stands out for me. Um, so, yeah, the next question um, is at Elliot underscore Ching, and he said, what team will each of you guys be supporting in the Bundesliga? Now, I don't actually have a German team that only, I've got a slight affiliation to two of them one of them is by munich because um my ex-girlfriend used to go to university in munich and i used to go visit her and as a result i was like you know i love munich munich's a great city um so then i thought maybe 1860 munich but they're not in the top league so I'm not going to support a team that I'm never going to watch. And then I've got a slight affiliation to her for Berlin as well, because I went to Berlin and stupidly I went in like February time, not expecting it to be as cold as it bloody was. And I went to the her for Berlin club shop and bought some gloves because I was so cold. So I did have some her for Berlin gloves. So I was airing towards those, but there's no, there's no real affiliation. And as I was on Twitter earlier, there was an app that um, was like, basically flicked through all the Bundesliga teams and you had to press your finger on it to stop and see which one came up and was the one that you were going to support. Um, right. Right. And I thought it'd be really cool to do it on the show, but annoyingly, I can't find it. And when I did it myself earlier, it came up with Schalke. And I thought, that's not a bad one, but um, I thought it'd be more fun to do it together. But unfortunately, I can't find it. So, uh, yeah, I don't uh, really have... Um, I mean, I don't really have a great knowledge of the European leagues, if I'm honest, because I don't ever spend any time showing interest in them. But I'm going to say Dortmund purely because I'm very envious of their yellow wall. Yeah. I, 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 I love what their fans do at that club. Yeah, I agree, and I, I must admit they were the one that sort of jumped into my head um, when I when I was thinking, oh, I'd love to support them. But I think that's almost like too easy. That's almost like choosing what, support. Buy a Munich game. No, I'm not saying I'm going to support by me, but I mean, like, if we're going to pick a random team together, right? Then, oh, um, okay. then I think that's almost like too easy. Don't you remember when we were in Ibiza? We had that cab driver, <laughs> and we both, uh, and he was telling us about um, Espanol, and we both decided we were going to be Espanol fans. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of died a death, really, hasn't yeah, it? But uh, trying to get a few bob off the taxi fare, in all honesty. But yeah, yeah, exactly. But I can't, I can't find this app, so we'll leave it. Oh, good stuff. Okay, mate. So that is all the questions, is it? It is, yeah. Okay, mate. So um, I know that we both want to do this. Uh, is give a, a special recognition and a big shout to five-year-old Liam Southwood. 
Yeah. Who uh, is not only a big West Ham fan, but he's raised nearly £2,000 for the NHS over the last couple of weeks through his 101 challenge. So absolutely outstanding work. I know his family are very proud of him and his West Ham family are as well. So congratulations, mate. Five years of age and I think he's achieved that number in less than two weeks, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. And I think he's an inspiration, even at his age, to people like me at my age. So congratulations, mate. Yeah. Keep up the work. And it was a really good idea what he did. Like he was celebrating different goals, wasn't he? And it was yeah. just, uh, it was like yeah. a really nice, positive thing to do. Like in this doom and gloom environment we're in at the moment, I thought it was a, a nice touch. And he didn't just do West Ham goals. He did, did have like significant goals as well. So uh, yeah. yeah, well, well done that lad. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. So it's nice to end on a positive. And that is what we're doing. We're ending because that is uh, the end of the show. A big thank you to Brian Dean for coming on. And as always, a big thank you to those at home for listening and giving us your questions. Stay safe, be lucky. And until next week, come on, you irons. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbours are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. It's Macy's Labor Day sale, so gear up as summer cools down with 30% off timeless looks from Levi's and specials like 30 to 50% off statement making shoes for her and 60% off luggage from Samsonite and more. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and get an extra 20% off more great deals. Plus, Star Rewards members can earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Going on now. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.